Hey everyone, it's Mike Kilner here and welcome back to the Indispensable Agent Podcast. This is the podcast where the indispensable get a dose of inspiration to win the game and outpace market changes. As usual, I'm joined today in the studio by my co-host and brother, Pat. Hey brother, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, good to be here as always. Um, so uh, let's just jump into it. I think that today we've got a little bit of a hand grenade topic. Um, Don't we always have one of those? I think that's, sometimes we're lobbing it, and sometimes we're jumping on it. In this case, um, what are we doing? Are we, are we jumping on um, We're sort of jumping on this one, All right. and we're going to see what comes out. So the topic um, for discussion today is centered around um, this newfound controversy uh, that everyone in real estate seems to be talking about, um, featured in a couple of articles on Inman News. And it's this lawsuit that is being brought against um, the National Association of Realtors, mm -hmm. um, as well as some large um, brokerages and franchisors in the real estate space, Realogy, Keller Williams, a couple others. Um, and essentially, the lawsuit alleges that um, I, you can read more about it on, on Inman for yourself. There's a couple articles about it. But... It, and its most basic form, the lawsuit alleges that um, there, there is a conspiracy between the National Association of Realtors, the local associations, uh, the multiple listing services, and the brokerages to offer a unilateral um, compensation to the buyer agent, right? Mm -hmm. That you actually, agents are forced and agents and, and really their, their sellers are forced to offer a unilateral, non-negotiable um, offer of compensation to the buyer agent. And the, this class action lawsuit, which was filed on, on behalf of a particular buyer who purchased a home back in, I think, 2015, um, is saying that that's, that's unfair. That's a violation of the, the Sherman Antitrust Act, mm -hmm. right? They're saying that that essentially, I think they're making the case that sellers are sellers' commissions, right, to agents are are artificially inflated by this system, and that commissions on a whole are are artificially propped up because of this system. So, I don't necessarily want to get into that argument, right? I think that we can you can dissect that all sorts oh, sure. of different ways, yeah. but that's been going on for a while. I think more. Uh, more sort of interesting of a topic is to dissect, you know, what happens if something like this, if a lawsuit like this actually went through and National Association of Realtors, the local associations, and by extension, the multiple listing services mm -hmm. went away. So all this, this whole sort of network um, that's outside of the normal state licensing um, boards, which actually give real estate agents their fiduciary um, responsibilities, right? They're sanctioned their responsibilities to help people buy and sell homes. Outside of that, this extra network would be gone. Yeah. So there's a lot of ramifications there. And I think it's a very good thought experiment for agents to, to think about because it has ramifications not just for this what-if scenario. If this happens a couple years down the road, um, something, this, a lawsuit like this gets through, it also has a ramification for how you approach your business now. Absolutely. And we've actually had, 
we've had a, these theoretical conversations before, but never has it been, has the, the threat actually loomed as large, right? It's sure. just a lawsuit. Sure. Um, and I, I, I'm not a, a legal scholar, so I don't know how much of a chance this actually has of, of winning mm -hmm. um, and what the, you know, if it went to a settlement or if it actually caused a dissolution of NAR. But um, because of the threat, now it's a really interesting thought experiment. Now, I know you've got, you've got a lot of thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, frankly, I think just in, in, in coaching a lot of agents in their businesses, I think it's a really great thing to ask yourself, if I, if I didn't have, just purely from this angle, if I didn't have the marketing tool that is the multiple listing service, how would I, if that disappeared tomorrow, and I was already under contract with sellers to market their properties, what would I immediately have to begin innovating on in order to, to deliver what I, what I have said I'm going to deliver in terms of eyeballs on their property, foot traffic, multiple offers hopefully, uh, how would I deliver demand to their property if I didn't have this, this marketing linchpin in my back pocket? What would that look right. like? And, and, what, and it's, a, it's a fascinating thing to, to discuss, to mastermind with other agents. In many ways, what it would force is, is people who, well, one, you couldn't be part-time at this and, and actually function as a marketing company. Interesting. Uh, at least that, that's, that's what I would posit, right? Um, is that if, if you didn't have MLSs tomorrow, it would drastically change the landscape for agents. And one way to think about that is all of a sudden now you are the marketing company versus a, a person who is using a marketing vehicle. Right. And I think it's, it's helpful to go back to, let's take a step back and look at what the original intention of the MLS was. Yeah, because it didn't always exist. Yeah, this is, and, I think, and I think it's actually, um, I think some, some people might, might um, quibble with this, but I think the analysis is that MLSs came around so that um, there was a standardized way that brokerages and agents could share information about properties available for sale, mm -hmm. right? And that it was very piecemeal before, and this standardized the, the sharing of information. Yeah. Right. So, and I think, I think that there's, there's, there's a lot of good in that. To sure. Share and, and from a fiduciary standpoint to, to the, to the client, we owe as much, as much opportunity to sell them the property as possible. So if you can, if you can standardize that information, make sure that it's reliable, more reliable than it could be otherwise. Um, you're, you're, you're beginning to meet that, that obligation much more systematically than you could otherwise, or than the average person could otherwise. What that enables though, is that people who aren't marketers to market properties. Right. Um, not, not well, but they, they have access to, to the same, they, they have as much access to buyers, mm -hmm. potential buyers with that listing as any other listing, right? Correct. And they may not do a good job of actually making the property attractive and prepping it and describing it. Right, um, but they still have the same this the same basic level of access. I think where the MLS has changed from that initial 
the initial goal of, of standardizing and sharing information across all brokerages so that so that agents and their clients were empowered changed when you had the large portals which were not connected to brokerages mm -hmm. arrive on the scene right so yep. um zillow is the big one and you can also talk about realtor.com and trulia which was bought by zillow yep. and there's probably 10 other you know smaller smaller portals that are yeah that are that are all fighting for for position and what's interesting about those is that without a without a brokerage presence right mm -hmm. they don't necessarily have an, have a they don't care about about sharing data among brokerages right mm -hmm. they're not caring about that what they're what they're doing is they're building from free data that they get from the multiple listing services the, the information about listings they are then selling advertising space to agents because they know they built such a good product for search for buyers such an mm -hmm. attractive product that they're going to have lots of eyeballs on their website and so they're reselling the advertising space to them absolutely so it's very interesting that zillow which everyone sees as a threat has actually been completely funded by it, it's fueled by mls's it's been fueled by brokerages for years and years and years yeah um, and you see examples of, of brokerages and franchises fighting back, right? And, and Keller Williams, for instance, may, maintaining exclusivity on, on many of their listings, right? Mm -hmm. That come from agents, right? Um, on Zillow. No one else can advertise and no one else can pay to be in that spot, which is, which is um, I think that was truly good for the industry for, for Keller Williams to do that. So now you're, you're in a situation though, where, okay, let's say the MLSs are gone. Um, my theory would be that we would still, like if, if, let's play out this scenario, if tomorrow our MLS that we work in, Bright MLS, just went dark, mm -hmm. you know, the server farm blew up and you did not have, no one had access to Bright MLS anymore. Mm -hmm. Like you said, we still have a responsibility with, to our sellers and to our buyers, mm -hmm. by the way, to help them identify properties or to sell their property if it's a listing. So where would we go? <laughs> I think the knee-jerk reaction would be, let's figure out how to get this thing on Zillow as fast as humanly possible. Sure, sure. Because we know where people are searching. We know that they have the most eyeballs, right? Well, and your we clients looking at you going, okay, what now? Right? Right. You, and, and, and you have to react to that and do well by them. So I completely agree with you. That would be the knee-jerk, like initial, like who has the most eyeballs? That would be that would be the spot. Yeah, if you if you're thinking like a marketer at all. And so if you play this out to let's say all the MLSs are gone, mm -hmm. it does introduce a scenario where you could see a portal like Zillow basically being able to monopolize the market, mm -hmm. where every agent, every brokerage would have to establish a direct with Zillow to get their listings. On, on those websites. So in some ways, what we're saying is it wouldn't change anything if the MLSs went away because from, from, a, from a consumer standpoint, we would still be posting listings you know, in the same place where, where the consumer is, is well, seeing them. It is interesting. It would change, it would change a lot of the, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that nothing has changed. I think it would actually be a, a consolidation of power, right? Yep. I think to the to I think every single broker 
that relies on an IDX feed to showcase properties on their websites, right? Every property in the MLS on their website, those would suddenly go dark, mm -hmm. right? Every single smaller portal hasn't really gained a huge foothold would suddenly lose all of their listings and lose all of their value to the agents who advertise on those, on those websites. And, but a huge brand that's got as much reach and as much, you know, uh, really brand penetration as Zillow, they would have an opportunity to monopolize. And that's, that's really kind of interesting. And then you have another lawsuit. Thought. Yeah, and then you have another lawsuit, you know, a couple of years down the road. Well, I wonder if Zillow could be pulled into this class action lawsuit as well. I don't think so because they're, they're, they are, they're not part of the conspiracy necessarily, mm -hmm. right? Um, just, they are third just party. just taking advantage of the conspiracy. Yeah, they're, they are third party, mm -hmm. right? Um, and they're not, they don't, Zillow doesn't mention anything about compensation on, you know, you can't go onto a, on a, onto a Zillow listing and see what the buyer agent comp is. is sure, you know, sure. it's really just, it's more about all the, the sexy stuff about the house, the price, yeah. square footage pictures all that so it's very interesting to to that's the doomsday scenario so i wanted to get that out of the way because yeah, yeah. i know so, people will, will be thinking that so let's say you're a seller and i i haven't played this out entirely but if you're a seller and you want to sell your house now and you know that you have armies of agents some very active some relatively inactive who now have to go to their buyers and get their buyers to pay their commission right? mm -hmm. um, and realize that those buyers, th those buyers agents aren't very good at being paid directly by so their, it's, not by a, their, it's not a skill that they've ever had. Sure. So as a, as a seller and I need to sell my house and by the way, the opportunity cost of, of not selling my house is really, really high. I might say, we are offering finder fee to buyer agent who brings this in. Let's make this really simple for you. Bring me your people so you can get paid. So I think what you, what you established is, is sort of an interesting market dynamic where you say, there will be sellers out there who go, bring me your people, you know, direct, um, because we know that you're working with them. It's the spring market. I need to sell this house. I still need to move to my, wherever my job's transferring me to. And so, really, really serious sellers actually might still choose to, to, to go ahead and offer that. Yeah, because, it, because there is a, there's, it, it's in their best interest in many ways to, to build those relationships with buyer agents, right? To get, the, to get it closed. And I think that's actually, we might have lost that because it's just become so habitual, but that was probably the original intention. Sure. Was, Okay, and especially when in the '90s all of the all the dual agency regulations Correct. came out, right? Because it used to be that every agent works with seller, right? And now it's now it's you have agents that are exclusively working with the, for the buyers. They they have their fiduciary interest, fiduciary interest protected, and it, and agents exclusively working for the sellers, mm -hmm. right? To, to protect their fiduciary interest, and um, but. The, the money comes out of the transaction. Yeah. The percentage of, of commission comes out of the transaction, right? Um, the buyer is the one bringing the funds to sell, right? Yes. So they're, they're the ones with their, with their lender who are bringing the funds to the sell, right? And 
So it's 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 actually a misnomer to say that the seller's actually paying the commission. Yeah, even as we have it right now. Yeah, is, yeah, I I completely agree with that. In that, well, no, actually, the buyer is paying it because of the inf inflation of the price. Right. Right. We're we're elevating the price. Let's go. Let's go off market. But I have a buyer. The buyer wants to buy this property over here. You approach that seller and you say, hey, I'm working with this buyer. I could bring him a bunch of other places and get paid 3%. Now, you're not paying the other 3%. Let me bring you this buyer. And, and here's what I charge. And so we're going to negotiate the price. And then once we're done negotiating the price, I'm going to add my fee. And the buyer is going to increase their loan amount so as to pay my fee, which is effectively what's happening. Right. Yes. Yeah. Even though we've we've lost it because it's it's been baked into the price for so totally, long, totally. so that it's you're really changing the, the the psychology. Completely. It's it's and I think it would be tough to to get. Well, and it's it. a it's a really that's a master's conversation. In order to show that you have value to to a seller, really, I mean, the the onus is on you as a buyer's agent. I would imagine that really good listing agents would say, you know what. We may not have to pay a buyer's agent on this. In fact, I may be able to negotiate out of the price paying a, paying a buyer's agent. We may be able to lower our price, and, I can, and I'm so good, just like I'm really good at negotiating home inspections, I'm really good at negotiating, <coughs> negotiating out of the price a buyer agent commission. It could actually make listing agents that much more indispensable as fiduciaries, as defenders of every dollar for their, for their sellers. Mm -hmm. And assuming that sellers are often, and for the most part, interested in their bottom line, which is often the case, then this could be a real, a real big feather in somebody's cap if you had a proven track record of actually negotiating well for your folks. And as a buyer's agent, you would have to, your relationships with Counterparts in the marketplace with other sellers would matter a lot. By yeah. the way, if you were a listing agent and then all of a sudden the next day you were a buyer's agent, then you were, you were going out there. You know, people have, have short memories here. Yeah, I have long memories when it comes yeah, to getting yeah. paid. And, and so you're standing in the marketplace as, 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 a, as, a, as an upstanding person as well as a tough negotiator. That balance would, would really have to be struck. I don't see how you survive this without being a full-time, complete, linchpin, badass agent, <laughs> frankly. I think right. what, what this would do is it would, I think a lot of people think, oh my gosh, if the MLS goes away, it changes, the, it, it, it changes things. Yes, they think it changes things in that they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't be able to give their folks prime access. I disagree with that. I think you, you, you've shown that that we would be able to give prime access to people as listing agents still. What it would change is the whole negotiation or negotiability, I don't know if that's a word, around what, what people are paid and the only way to be paid and paid well is to be able to defend your commission. I don't know part-time agents who are good at defending their commission in general. In fact, I know a lot of full-time agents who would have to go back to school on this and really learn how to how to bring their buyers and their sellers mindset around to this. Oh, by the way, yeah. now buyers and sellers might think to themselves, you know what? I'm just going direct to the other to the other party, and I'm skipping the agent altogether because I don't want to get 
intertwined in this, in this commission question. Uh, we've known for a long time, and this is the, the buyer and seller speaking, we've known for a long time that agents were part of this cartel and they weren't worth what, they, what, what, what we were paying them and now I can just go direct to the other person. I've got Zillow, I can look up their number and name, knock on their door and we can do a deal on, my, on our own. I could see a lot of that happening now. Um, yeah, and I think so. There's, there's, it's not just the, it really calls into question the entire process, your entire value proposition. Totally. So, right, not, so your fiduciary responsibility, how well you negotiate, you know, for the property, how you're pricing, right? Your marketing approach, how you, how you are going to identify purchasers for properties, how as a buyer's agent, you're going to identify, you know, listings of potential purchases for your buyers, right? Right. It makes it, what I actually think it, it opens up is it, it opens up this, this really interesting opportunity for agents who want to be innovative to supercharge their businesses. Oh, totally. Right. Because yeah. if you can, you right now, the MLS democratizes everything and really levels the playing field. Right. Or without the, everything. Yeah. Well, without the MLS, right you have you suddenly are going to see a further stratification in the marketplace between agents who are going to approach their businesses in a really innovative way and agents who were doing fine without innovation because they were protected by the democratization of of you know of data and they were protected by the national association of realtors and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. So I do think, though, let's get into some, a, a little bit more of the, the sort of the practical things that right now in the age of the MLS, right, how does an, how does an agent take this concept of if there were no MLS, how would I innovate and use it to improve their business now today in the age yeah. of MLS right now? Yeah. Well, and, and it's actually, I think it's, it's fair to say the MLS as you know it today in the next 10 years will not exist. Let's just, uh, let's, let me throw that one out there. Yeah. Right? As you know it today, it will not exist. By the way, you heard it here first, folks. It, well, I mean, it's not that <laughs> hard to claim. Um, if they don't go down with this lawsuit, who knows what else, this is gonna stir the pot in some way, right. um, whether or not it wins. And you know what? That, that's actually really good. The MLS doesn't look like it did 10 years prior, and the MLS was, was was in its infancy tw 10 years prior to that right and, and and so it was it's it's really come just in the last 20 years we've really had significant data sharing and in the last 12 years or so had 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 you know, idx feeds and this sort of stuff 13 years or so that that's changed the game the mls as we know it and data sharing as we know it in real estate will not exist. So how do you remain really, really relevant to your, to your clients, to the people who put their trust in you, who you are licensed to have a fiduciary duty to by the state that you're in or the states that you're in? How do you stay relevant to them? I think it's a fascinating question. And I think uh, there's, there's a few things. One, there's no doubt that if you're relying solely on the MLS as, or principally even, on the MLS 
as the way in which you do marketing, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. Marketers, here's what really great marketers know. Great marketers know that timing is everything. The way in which you, you release data is everything. And how you release that data, to whom you release that, that data is everything. So if, if you're behind the times in terms of understanding how you're leaking out the data, you know, I, love, I love thinking about how Apple releases, you know, released the first few iPhones. I don't think they do it as well as they, as they did before, but I think when they were releasing, Steve Jobs was at the helm, they were releasing iPhones. They would give you a taste of what it might look like, and they pull it back. And then they'd give you a date, generally when it would be coming out, and mm -hmm. then they'd pull it back. And then they'd say, you know, they'd, they'd have, you know, in stores this date, and people would literally sleep outside in order to get in. They were creating, yeah. they were creating the, the funnel for demand that a great marketer understands how to do. They were telling a story about the product in a way that was wildly compelling, that got you excited about it, even before you could see it in person, touch it, show it to your friends, even use the apps. They were telling a story about it. Unless we become really great storytellers as marketers, and unless we become really great about telling that story in the right sequence as marketers, uh, and really it's thinking like marketers, unless we do that, we think like a marketing company, and become a marketing company truly, um, then we will, then you're in trouble. Marketing is not simply throwing, throwing things onto, on, into marketing vehicles, right? It's not just putting in, the, you know, it used to be put in the, in the, in the Washington Post here locally, mm -hmm. um, you know, weekend section. That is now really just known as marketing for you, right? But that was where actually people would come into open houses with the Washington Post under their arm. I hadn't seen that in years. But that's, that's where they get their information. When the MLS goes down, maybe the Washington Post really Who knows? And maybe it'll be resurrected, right? Um, go invest in the Washington Post. The, so, but that was, that's, that's how people did things. I think what we've learned is that we can't become reliant on, on, on tech. Tech is, tech is a vehicle. It is, not, it is not a philosophy and a systematic fiduciary approach. And I think if we start thinking about about this, it, as the CEO of the little corporation that exists in order to sell this really important, one really important asset, we start to shift our mindset to, okay, to the creativity that a CEO would bring to that listing um, and, and to be in business with our clients in a different way. They would say, okay, what does being in business look like when, when, when we hire you as our marketing company? Right. What is being in business? Just like they would ask, what does being in business with you look like when we hire you as our chief negotiator, right? Or to make sure that our budget comes in where we need it to be as our, as our CFO as well. Those are the hats you would start to have to really wear super purposefully. Otherwise, you become a commodity. Really, In fact, the commoditization happens so quickly in that type of market that we just described or that we were talking about, musing about, um, perhaps even dreaming about, you know, in some ways mm -hmm. that all of a sudden it's very hard to survive if you, if you approach buyers or sellers in any way, shape or form as a commodity and, and, you know, and, and that commoditization goes both ways. So I think that's one way to think about it from a marketing standpoint. Um, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think happens to, I mean, as you go through this thought experiment, what other ways in which, uh, 
you know, in, in going through this yeah. thought experiment, do pe can people become indispensable? Yeah, so I think there's, I think there, there really are two things um, that, that come to mind. And, um, or sorry, I should say one thing that comes to mind and, and you actually have to break it down into two categories, two subcategories. And so if we're talking about, we're just talking about the technology landscape, right? You're going to have two categories of technology companies that, that thrive in this new, in the landscape of MLS is dying. The first will be the giant portals. I strongly believe that they have such market penetration that in desperation, agents will, um, will move to, to, to those exclusively skipping the MLS and, and putting their, their listings there mm -hmm. you know, primarily. I think that the second, the second um, technology company, uh, the second category of technology company that will thrive in this type of environment is any technology company that um, is focused on helping agents who are indispensable, who have, um, who have businesses that you know, are actually profitable and, and making money, will be any technology companies that help those agents become more efficient, right? And uh, more indispensable to their clients, right? Mm -hmm. And whether that's, through, whether that's through marketing, whether that's through um, creating operational efficiencies, creating customer service efficiencies, those are the, those are the companies that will really thrive. Um, and I actually see this as a, as a, as, you know, if this thing, if this were to happen, I actually see this as a, as an opportunity for, for people with great ideas about how to connect agents, how to reinforce relationships through technology to make good money. Absolutely. Because right now, I think that there is so much inertia behind reliance on the MLSs, right? And even reliance on the associations, we haven't even talked about this, but if the local association went away, many local associations regulate the lockbox system Correct. that every agent who is affiliated with them has access to. Mm -hmm. So if that goes away, no one's in charge of, uh, you know, we'll use our market, the century lock, lockbox system, the electronic lockboxes. Okay, what types of companies are going to spring up, right, that are able to provide the same level of security, right, that, that Centralock was able to provide, mm -hmm. um, but without the sort of central regulation. And then every, every agent or brokerage would have to go out and say, okay, we need, to be, we need to find a technology partner or create our own technology that gives security to our clients, access to other agents when needed, right? And as much accountability as possible about who's accessing the property, mm -hmm. right? Like, so there's an opportunity right there for some, some innovative company to come in, yeah. right? Or yeah. uh, a company that builds a platform for brokerages to, to standardize how their listings are input, right? Which is what the MLS was, but to standardize it. And for the broker to have a incredible control over which the vendors then get that information, yeah. right? Um, there will be an opportunity for that. I mean sort of project upstream kind of comes to mind, even though mm -hmm. they've had a lot of uh, speed bumps and yeah. ups and downs and all of that. But, but primarily their thought was, okay, let's build a national platform for, 
you know, for listings to be standardized. And the MLS goes away, they're no longer, they're, they're, they're external to the MLS, mm -hmm. right? They would be owned by shareholding brokers all over the country rather than shareholding brokers in an association. So that's where I see it. It's one thing if it's technology, I see it as an opportunity on both ends of, you know, for, for innovative people to make, to make money. Yeah, it really changes the revenue model also for Zillow. All of a sudden, Zillow goes from selling you ad space to charging you to put stuff on, on Zillow. Yeah, they definitely could. They could definitely do that. They, they, or they could do both. And they could do both, right? So because they, Zillow has had a lot of trouble maintaining profitability. They have a massive valuation, but not consistently profitable. Yeah. So, or profitable at all, I'm not sure. But they, um, they're, going to, they're going to need to, to monetize in a different way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, especially if they're, if they are, if they're the only option, they're going to be able to monetize in a big way. Oh, uh, amazingly so. At least in the short term, until they're realized as a monopoly, and then and then they're they're dealing with a lawsuit as well. So invest short term and then sell. <laughs> yeah, I also think like this is a this is we haven't talked about these people, but but um, companies, tech companies that are huge and have massive reach that everyone's afraid of, <coughs> and don't actually have a foothold in real estate right now. We think of Facebook, Google, Amazon. Amazon. Amazon, right? Like what? You don't think they could turn around, you know, tomorrow and develop a real estate portal that agents would pay to be in? Sure. Right? You can see it in, in, in extend your prime membership. Well, yeah, that. you can see it. Like they already, they already have part of it there, right? Facebook, right? Tons of agents are spending lots of money on Facebook to get, to get leads. Um, you can see it in, in, uh, you, you know, you can see it with, with the way that Amazon approaches every single marketplace, totally. right? You know, Why couldn't they not do it in, in real estate? You know what this, this would end up doing, and I think in, in some ways, is making residential real estate look a lot more like commercial and even within commercial retail, right? So the relationships matter a lot. Mm -hmm. There's big accounts. There's, uh, there, it's, uh, there, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of information out there, but it's not highly regulated. Um, and, and there's almost nobody who's part-time. It would start to look, I think in many ways, like the commercial world is because the commercial world has yet to be highly, highly regulated, like, like the residential side. Uh, and, and in some ways I, I think that's, that would be in many ways healthy. I think you know, I'd like to throw this out there. It would totally change. Imagine if that's the case. Now the volume, the concept of a, of a brokerage making money because they have simple simple volume of people who, who hang their license at the brokerage would, would totally disappear. Now brokerages would actually have, have to add significant value outside of just being a silo where, where, where people put their, put their licenses, which in many ways has been the trend over the last 20 years or so. So when, when brokers don't have 1.4 million agents to, to throw into their, you know, into their you know, back office wall where, they, where they, they hang the licenses, 
uh, and charge desk fees and charge, you know, all sorts of other stuff. I think it would change very much the value proposition that a brokerage brings to the table. Do you think it would cause a lot of small brokerages to pop up? Agents just going, you know, I'm just, I'm going out on my own. Or would it, would it consolidate agents into very, very large brokerages? I don't know. I think there's, I think there's, there's, you have to look at sort of the human psychology of it because if you're driven, if you're driven out of fear, right, then the big brokerages will exploit that. They will figure out a way to, because they have, you know, most of them have funds at their disposal, figure out a way to develop partnerships with the major portals right away as fast as they can. And they will say to agents, we're, we are your only hope for survival because mm -hmm. we've, we've ironed out these, these agreements. So uh, I think agents who are, who, who tend to be fear-based may, may stick with those companies or flock to or, those or companies. Them, yeah. right? And whether or not they survive there, we'll see. I think like, like we're talking about before, I think um, innovative, independent minded agents will see this as an opportunity to gain a larger piece of the pie, right? They will see that this as a, as what it is, a shift in the marketplace, disruptive shift in the marketplace that will allow for those who exploit it to uh, carve out a bigger niche for themselves. And I do think that it, it will be, it will be more and more of these niches. And I think that, I, I think that the trend of, of cheap, um, highly leveraged technology for independent brokers will only accelerate. I don't think it will go away. Yeah. Um, and I think that, like, I, I think now is the best time ever to start an independent brokerage, actually. What do you know? Yeah. You've just done it. Well, that, because, because of how many good um, vendors are out there for you to build your technology suite. Totally. Right? Third party, not Third associated party, right? with, with... And... and economically yeah um and these these vendors are, are are working for many different brokerages and they're constantly innovating mm -hmm. right um i think yeah there's there's a I, naysayers would say oh the threat is that one of your competitors will buy one of your bigger competitors will buy that vendor and then you have to switch to a new one correct okay well once you get to scale you can start to develop your own in-house solutions, right? And that's what a lot of them do. They develop their own in-house solutions. But as an independent broker who has, you know, 40, 50, 100 agents, you have access to a suite of tools that you did not have access to five or 10 years ago. Yeah. Right. The yeah. cloud has, has made, has made so many things accessible for you to show up and provide a level of customer service to your agents, really your customers as a brokerage. Um, very cost efficiently. Yeah, cost efficiently, a, a, a fantastic. Every, every year better, frankly. Yeah, and I think, I think that trend will accelerate and will continue to be a good, a good market for independent brokerages to carve out a niche, especially if they are built on relationships, especially if they are built on trust and high fiduciary, and they, they stray towards the higher end of the market, or at least yeah. the people who who are looking for those types of services. Yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily higher end in terms of price point. I think it's higher end in terms of mindset of, of what I'm looking for. And there's a story to tell. I think the consumer will say, my gosh, 
where do I go now? Then the story, whoever is best locally at telling the right story about why they are still around and why they're still valuable, um, will absolutely be able to gain significant market share. One, because much of the competition will have to get out of the business. Um, and two, because there'll be enough of confusion about the story for consumers that if you're good at marketing and marketing yourself uh, and telling a great story about, about what you bring to the table, which you should already be, be doing today, uh, you, you're going you're gonna to gain a lot of ground. It's exciting to me to think about, you know, this change is going to happen either all at once or it's going to happen slow and steady. In some ways, the slow and steady is what's most dangerous long-term for agents' businesses. The slow, the, the, the quick, it's taken off the Band-Aid and it's causing the entrepreneurs, the innovators, the people who aren't, aren't risk-averse and the people who have great relationships to flourish. So I, I would be really excited about just taking the Band-Aid band off really, really quickly because it it's happening. Whether you realize it or not, the Band-Aid is coming off and it, it's, it's just prolonging a lot of this. So uh, you heard it here first, I guess. The, uh, the, the, the revenue model will change. Your revenue model will change as well. Uh, the question that I have is how dependent do you want to be on third parties in, in, in defining your, your bottom line, you know, whether you're building a team or you've built a brokerage? I'm curious, Mike, what happens to the likes of a Redfin in this scenario to your mind? Well, it's interesting because Redfin is, is one of those, um, it is a brokerage, right? So it's not just a platform. Mm -hmm. they, they, have, they actually have broker penetration in most markets. Um, so they're, they are, um, they're benefiting from, from, just like any other broker, access to all the listings in the MLS through an IDX feed, right? Mm -hmm. So, so their feed goes away. Interesting, yeah, it'd be really interesting to see, yeah, their, their, their access to everyone else's listings, just like every other broker, would go away. Yeah. Um, and their primary, so if they don't have, they don't have listings to display to, to potential buyers, potential buyers are not going to be visiting their site very often. Yeah. They won't be able to generate leads for their agents, which yeah. is why you go to Redfin because there's more leads than you could possibly deal with. Yeah. Um, and so with, I don't know, with their entire structure collapse, they would have to quickly yeah. change yeah. to a model where they would have to strike agreements with other brokerages or with Zillow direct or with, I think, I think which, but, but Zillow buys them. Yeah, that, that could be it because, because the, I mean, if, it, yeah, it's it, just it further just, consolidation. Would it be, it basically would be like a, a, you know, an agent at, at, you know, ABC Realty sends it to Zillow. Zillow is, is, why would they resell it to Redfin? They have no, they have no incentive to give it to Redfin. Unless they want another revenue source and they say, we will only give this to you unless you give us a seat at the table. Oh, by the way, that's the primary seat. So here's what we're working on. Yeah, so it's really interesting. Like there's so much, there are so many big players who stand to be incredibly disrupted if, if the MLS is one way. So it's really hard for me to actually see, you know, your prediction is that in 10 years it's going to be gone. It's really hard for me to see how 
Well, no, that it will not look the same. It will not look the same. Yeah. Right. I, I, think, I think, will it be gone altogether? Will data sharing be gone? Certainly not. Um, will it probably be elevated uh, far beyond where we see it now? It will, I, I, I would think if this all you know, hit the fan, all of a sudden it's, it's in Zillow's hands, it is a little bit more of the Wild West. There is fallout of, of who's still left after a year or two of, of people deciding to stay in or stay in, get it, get out of the business, and and then the, the remaining, the remainder, remainder. I can't speak this morning. Remainder. The, the, the remainder of the remaining agents are the ones who who then begin to dictate what this market is actually going to look like. Um, I see teams either totally disintegrating, depending on the team's value proposition. If your value proposition is we, we hand you leads, but don't teach you how to have great relationships. I think you're in trouble. And that's actually what Redfin's model is. We hand you leads, but we don't teach you how to fish. We just give you fish. So unless, now, if you're in bed with the right places and those places don't decide to jack up their prices and destroy your profit model, right? You're just, because Kazilla could literally take on a brokerage of its own, destroy everybody else's margins who relies on them for leads and, um, and own all the information. Yeah, they went, it could be it could be a total yeah. mess. Well, the thing is that they they would they would have to rely on on other brokerages at least initially to give them leads because to give them listings because then they because they would have no more agreements with MLSs. Yeah, but it's very fascinating. I think it's more. It's almost there. This would be revolutionary. Yeah. So I think we 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 are talking about a doomsday scenario, but I think more relevant to okay tomorrow how do I innovate my business is to think about. It's to do this thought experiment. Yeah. And to actually go through. How do you go provide it for your family? Right. And think about, think about your listing presentation. Think about your buyer presentation. How are you uniquely situated to offer additional value over anybody else in the marketplace, right? Are you just the first person there? Are you just the one in front of them? Are you just the name that they know? Yeah. Or are you actually, do you actually have a competitive edge? Are you, is your business actually structured in a way and you have the professional capacity to give your buyers and sellers a competitive edge yeah that's what like I'm, like if you're if you break it down to anything like that's the thought experiment do yeah, i have what, a competitive edge or not what kind of what kind of mastery of your craft do you have to have now what right. kind of habits do you have to employ every single day as you wake up and go get after it? what negotiation skills do you, do you have or do you need to what be tactics what 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 do you have what innovations but i think it's it really is mastery of craft habitual just waking up and, and, and winning every single day owning owning it to the point that you don't have to own it or you may be using other things that that are that are owning certain aspects of what you deliver you got to own it all and and frankly the indispensable own every aspect of, of what they do they're thinking about it if this goes away how do I deliver I'm I'm in charge because if I'm a client I'm going I signed up with you I don't care what's going on out there. You're the person that told me that you would deliver for me. Right. So I want you to own it. Well, gosh darn it, own it. And the people who say, you know what? I'm going to come up with a better solution for you than what you currently have are the ones that are going to thrive now and that when the opportunity comes to gain market share, will absolutely crush it. 
I think there's a big mindset uh, um, piece to this. And, and you can't have that mindset unless you're in the game 110%. You cannot play the professional sport unless you're in the game on a regular basis. You're taking the snap, you're throwing the ball, you're getting hit over the middle. And, and you know, excuse the sports analogy, but it, you, you, can't, you can't learn it from the sidelines and say that I'm still in the game because you're not. The, and I think, you know, you got to really think about what, how do you go, what does the, the consumption of knowledge look like on a daily basis? Uh, what would you replace in terms of the knowledge that you bring in on a daily basis and how would you execute on that? And your knowledge base would be in many ways, who's got what listing, what are they offering? How can I win for my folks? And I think the, the knowledge of the marketplace, and not just the marketplace in the general sense, but also the players in the marketplace, the relational knowledge would be absolutely huge. Definitely. All right, great. So I think we can wrap it up there. Um, we could keep talking about this. Forever. Yeah, we, could, we, we do have to go. You could definitely keep talking about this. Forever. Uh, <laughs> once you get on the mindset train, forget it's about it's hard it. to get off. off it. All right. So we will sign off for this week. Uh, maybe another grenade will come out that we can jump on next week. Who knows? Who knows? All See right. you, brother. See you.